Good morning. Again, uh, I we said this on the last night, but I do want to recognize uh, again and uh, again, this is by the grace of the Lord. But Adam and Crystal Keffer did an amazing job in running this, so let's give them a round of applause. Where are you, Adam? Are you not in the building? They're not here. They're probably very, very tired. VBS was amazing, though. It was great. And by the grace of the Lord, we are considering doing five days next year because we had so many um, volunteers. So we're considering uh, bumping it up to a full five-day thing. So it was really amazing. Thank you also for all those that volunteered and the, the, the decorations were amazing. I wish we could have left them up, uh, but we had a wedding, a uh, deaf wedding yesterday, so it wouldn't have quite worked. Uh, so anyway, we had a great time. Uh, thankful for everybody. Have you ever asked yourself, why are things occurring this way? Why does everything unfold in this particular way? We often try to explain everything through the nurture-nature paradigm. What is that? Well, nature. People do what they do and things happen because they are sinful by nature and they do certain things and that's why things happen. Or nurture. People and events unfold a certain way because they are raised in a, by particular parents in a particular way and so, far, so therefore things unfold a certain way. We often want to make it all and everything we see about human responsibility, either people's nature or people's environment or their culture or whatever. Human responsibility is a large part of why things happen and unfold the way they do. (coughs) However, there is something bigger at work. There is an ultimate mover. He isn't the direct cause of sin, But he is sovereign over all of it. He allows certain people to respond a way he has ordained. He works in some to keep them from doing some evil and not being as evil as they could be. It's similar to sitting on a beach. Have you ever noticed this when you're out on the beach? Uh, Maybe you've watched, like I have, I've watched a, a ball or a floating object out in the water in the beach. As you watch it, you see it drift in a certain direction. It's often weird, though, because it can play tricks on your mind as you watch this little object out in the water at the beach. You see the waves coming into the shore, and they keep crashing, and you would think that the object would be pushed on the shore. But for some unknown reason, often that object begins to go out to sea, instead of come in to see. Why? What's happening? Undercurrents. Undercurrents. Things are pushing, a dominant current is pushing the water in a certain way and making the object be drift to go out to sea, despite the waves and the wind. Undercurrents are under the surface of the water and they're steering the water in all all the directions it goes. This is similar to our world. We see external activities, characteristics, and responses. We can see them happening. 
But we don't see the ultimate reason the actions are occurring. We don't always see why things are happening the way they are happening. But there is a superior undercurrent that is moving everything around. This is God's sovereignty. The Lord's work. Things are still unfolding every day exactly as he, as he has ordained them. Now we might think, why would he ordain events to go in that direction? But ultimately, the believer has to trust their biblical theology and not their own interpretation of events. It's not only human responsibility, nurture and nature, but it's also God's sovereign plan, and he's working. Man plans his steps, but God directs his way, and all these things are happening. Last week in our passage, we covered the undercurrents of all the events that were happening for Jesus as he was on the shore. And he's giving these parables, and why he gives the parables, and what exactly is happening behind the scenes and under the, scene, under the surface of the water, as it would be said. If you look at verses 10 to 17, Jesus explains to his disciples the background, the back scene for the parables and how they unfold and what's he getting at and why some people are getting the word and why people aren't getting the word. Why some people have ears to hear, spiritual ears to hear and spiritual eyes to see and why others don't. He explains that in that very short section. Jesus was speaking to the crowd in the parables and he was ultimately the sovereign sower. He was the one that was bringing about the events. Some people were getting anything he said, or were not getting anything that he said, and were even seeking to kill him by this point. Some people were excited about the possibilities of healings and getting fed and the present benefits of being around the Messiah. And they were coming in their emotions, and they were there. Some people were intrigued by Jesus and wanted to follow him. Might have even thought, this is the true Messiah. But only, they would only follow him if it didn't mean pain and sacrifice. And then finally, there was a remnant that truly loved Jesus. They were his followers, the disciples. They knew he was the Messiah. And no matter what, they were going to follow him even if it meant sacrifice for themselves. Were they perfect? No. But they believed. This is what we're seeing as we make our way through the Gospel of Matthew, right? These four different types of people. These different types of people made up the crowd that Jesus was then speaking to as he gave the, the parables. This was the group that was on the beach, as we see in verse 1. As Jesus sat in the boat and proclaimed the truth to them. This crowd was made up of those four types of people. This undercurrent, the undercurrent that he explained was God's sovereignty. And all of this was unfolding with those four different types of people exactly as, as God had ordained it. God was working. They were responsible, but God was sovereign. And that's what Jesus does is he shows the disciples that he is the ultimate sovereign sower while he teaches this lesson. And it looks like when you read this like it was read today without 10 to 17... It looks like it's all about human responsibility and what people do and what they don't do and how they take the word and how they don't take the word. 
But we know if we see the bigger context, we see that it's both. God is sovereign and man is what? Responsible. We see it both. Jesus was offering the kingdom to his people. But many of these people were the wrong kind of soil. They didn't have spiritual eyes to see or spiritual ears to hear. The word was being proclaimed, but their darkened hearts made it impossible for them to really embrace and understand just who Jesus was and what he was offering. Some, as he was preaching and teaching these parables and doing these miracles, and yet he wasn't really being embraced, some might have been uh, tempted to ask this question. And, and, and say, why aren't more people believing in Jesus? Why aren't more people saying, this is the Christ? Why aren't the religious leaders following him? Instead, they're adamant against him, and they're questioning everything, and they're against him. They might have been tempted to say, was Jesus really a good sower? Was he really good at placing seeds where they needed to be? The answer is, yes, he was perfect. He was doing it exactly as God had ordained for it to unfold. He was a great Lord. He was the Messiah. And things were unfolding exactly as God had planned. See, through their rejection would come hope for the remnant and for the nations. Through their rejection, there would be fruit for the remnant, and it would be, they would be fruitful. Last week, we covered the undercurrent, so the sovereignty of God and the parables and what God was doing and what Jesus was doing and teaching and how it was working in the people. The Lord's sovereignty over the soils. The Lord gave full revelation to those close to him, but he kept revelation from those he was judging. In fact, he was going to give abundantly more to some rather than others. And we talked about this last week, how in his sovereignty, he gives revelation of himself to whom he chooses. And he gives more to those that already have. And he takes what they have from the ones that weren't his chosen. He takes that from them, and they don't even have that. All in his providence. Today we see Jesus explains the different soils that he was sowing seed into. He explains the response of the various groups of people in his word to his word. His use of the parables helped to illumine the concept to his remnant disciples. But the parable, if left unexplained, actually kept the truth from the unbelievers. We talked this la- about this last week, remember? We talked about if you just heard verses 1 to 9... And you didn't hear the explanation. Would you have any idea what it was about? You wouldn't. But in God's providence, in the sovereign's providence, he did not allow what? All of them to hear the explanation. Only the disciples got to hear it. Only they got the revelation, the full revelation. Why? Because God is God. And he is independent. The Lord is independent and free. And he can do and choose who he wants. What does that cause us to do? Do we say, that's not fair? We say that, we've missed the point. Because after all, God is God and we are what? The creation. 
None of us deserve salvation. None of us should get a revelation of God, should we? But God, God is gracious and He gives to whom He chooses. Now the explanation is given to these disciples. And He explains the four types of human responses to Jesus' teaching. But again, I want you to remember, as you're looking at this unfolding of these four types of people, I want you to remember, ultimately, the undercurrent. Why is it unfolding the way it's unfolding? Don't get trapped into it thinking it's only about human responsibility. Because it's both, isn't it? We've seen that in 10 through 17. Why is this important? Well, because every time I've ever heard Matthew 13 preached... And these parables preached, it's always on the human responsibility side of it. It's all about what you do with the Word of God. Without remembering that it's ultimately because of what God's doing that somebody embraces the Word of God. We have ears to hear. And that's not literal physical ears, is it? We have ears to hear because He's given us ears to hear. And He's revealed Himself to us. But let's look at the human responsibility explanation of how things go, the typical characteristics of the four types of people during Jesus' day. And you'll see that they're similar to the characteristics of people today. When we give out the Word, you're going to see these same responses to the Word of God. How people respond to the Word of God reveals the human side of the equation. And it also shows... Who's God, who God is working in and who God isn't working in, right? At the same time, we also must seek to identify the characteristics in ourselves to see which type of people we are. If we see fruit and we are fruit bearers because of the Word of God, then God's obviously working and we should do what? Praise Him and thank Him and honor Him. If we see that we have no fruit, it should call us to what? Repentance. Recognition of our need of God. Now, if we see that we are the rejectors, we need to repent and believe. If we do, God is working to give us this new spiritual eyes. In other words, if you see, well, I don't have fruit, then that might be actually God calling you to repentance, to work in your heart. To get you to believe. Just a side note. I want you to think on this for a second. I think it's very important for us to know that this parable is not meant to be a a full discourse on salvation and sanctification. Other scriptures show us. In other words, are you the soil that you're going to be for the rest of your life? So let me give you an example. Somebody is preaching the word to you. And you hear the word, and you hear it, and then you reject it, and you say, this isn't true, and you walk away, and you say, well, that means I'm roadside soil. That means I'm, I'm always going to be this way. Well, again, this parable is not talking about the fullness of that. It's talking about at that moment. Why is that important? Well, think of an example, the Apostle Paul. What kind of soil was the Apostle Paul? Uh, If you say good soil, you've missed the point. Because the fact is, is that he was roadside soil at one time. Why? Well, don't you remember Stephen preaching? 
He was preaching the truth. What did he do? He gave hearty approval to the death of Stephen. But did he become good soil later? Absolutely he did. He became a believer and then preached to the ones that he had teamed with to kill and to jail people, calling for repentance. So, in other words, don't take Matthew 13 and say, this is a full discourse on salvation, and this is the way it's always going to be with a person. You don't necessarily stay that same soil. He's talking about at that point, at that moment, those crowd that were in front of him, this is the way that it is. Does this make sense? This is a very important thing to keep in mind. Context, 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 grace, these contexts. It was, his con- it was his crowd at that point. They was calling to repentance and he was illustrating them well with the parable of the sower. Again, ears to hear and eyes to see can be given by the Lord after days or weeks or months or years of spiritual deadness. However, this parable is dealing with the response to the word by various people at any given moment. For Jesus and the disciples, it was at that point when he was on the, in the boat talking to the crowd. Today, I want to focus on the actual explanation of the parable, though. Notice in verse 18, it starts with this. Hear then the parable of the sower. This literally means, listen up, pay attention, Get this, understand, disciples, the parable of the sower. He's going to explain it. He's going to tell them what the parable's about. Remember last time we saw the proclamation of the parable in verse 1 to 9, the purpose of the parable in verses 10 to 17, and then third we see the explanation of the parable, and that's what we're going to focus on today. Today we will see the sovereign sower is receiving abundant fruit from his own through the word of God. However, in those who are not the sowers, the word is rejected, produces no fruit, and ultimately reveals their judgment. This is what we see. Let's look at the four types of people that Jesus proclaimed the word of God to on the beach so that we can rightly identify ourselves and respond appropriately to the word. There are are four types. The hard-hearted rejectors, the shallow-hearted rejectors, respondents, the half-hearted receivers, and the whole-hearted worshipers. The whole-hearted worshipers. We all want to be whole-hearted worshipers, right? Let's look. So we start with the hard-hearted rejectors. Now, there's an identifying phrase in verse 19. The way it works in all four of the descriptions is it has this identifying phrase. In this case, in the first case, the identifying phrase is after the description, after the explanation. In the other times, it's the beginning. It identifies who he is explaining, which soil he's explaining. Notice in verse 19, the identifying phrase is, (coughs) excuse me, it's right there. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. Again, what's the reminder for us? Look back to the story, back verse 4. This is what, who he's explaining in verse 4 is the reminder. And as he sowed, some sell, seeds fell by the, weights, or by the road, and the birds came and ate them up. So after he identifies it, or actually in this case, he first 
explains it, then identifies it. This is a reminder of verse 4. He's explaining these people. Look at it, verse 19. Here's the explanation. When anyone hears, these are the people that the seed files by the roadside. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Okay, this is the explanation of the roadside seed, the seed that falls by the roadside, right? What does he say? Well, like I told you last week, when you explain a parable or understand a parable or you're observing a parable, you need to identify who the specific people are that he's relating in the story. Who is it associated with? So you can know it. So let's unfold it. Look real closely. What is the seed? What is the seed? The Word of God. The Word of God. When anyone hears the Word of the kingdom and does not understand it, it's the Word of the kingdom. It's the Word. That is the seed. Second, what... The, what is the land beside the road? What is the land beside the road? How many of you have ever been called land beside a road? That's what he's comparing them to. The land beside the road is what? Anyone who does not understand the word. It's anyone who does not understand the word. That is somebody beside the road. That's where the seed fell, beside the road. And then there's another character in here. There's another one in the first type. The birds. The birds. You see them. What did the birds what did the birds do? The birds came and what? Ate up the seed. Took away the word. Look at it. Look at the explanation in verse 19. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart. So, who are the birds? The evil one. Who is the soil or the roadside landing place? I don't like to call it soil because there's not really any soil on that roadside landing place. Who is that? That's anyone who does not understand the word. He's given an explanation of it. What's the seed? The word of God. So what's his point? What's the spiritual meaning of this first location? Well, here's the point. The first type of people is the hard-hearted rejectors of the truth. These would most likely be pointing to the Pharisees and the scribes that were in the crowd. They were so obsessed with their own self-righteous religion that they didn't even accept the word that he was saying at all. They didn't even hear it. The enemy was working in them to snatch the truth away as soon as they heard it. As soon as it came off of his lips... It went into their ears and went where? Back out. The enemy was working. He was working in them to keep them from knowing the truth. They were completely blinded by their self-righteous religion. They couldn't even understand the truth as Jesus proclaimed it. This would be a scary place to be, wouldn't it? Can you imagine being in this place? This place when you're hearing the word over and over and over and it just goes in one ear and out the other and you're not hearing anything. And the enemy's snatching the truth away. This is a scary place. But there were people in the crowd that were just like this. What could possibly make these religious people plot to kill Jesus? I mean, he was healing people. He was saying kind things. 
He was doing wonderful acts. People loved him. He was healing. Delivering people from bondage of demons. Why would they want to kill him? Why would they reject the countless words of wisdom that he was saying? It was a combination of two things. One, their depraved hearts. They were hard-hearted. And two, the enemy. Satan was actually keeping them from hearing the truth. He was snatching the truth away as soon as they heard it. Now let me ask you a question. If you knew that this was the way things were unfolding, and your crowd was doing this, and you had a group of people that were that, would you continue to talk to them? Would you continue to share the truth with them? I don't know about you, but at some point I'd be like, nah, I'm not going to bother with you anymore. Matter of fact, maybe I'll just speak to the ones that I want to speak to and not you. You see a little bit of why Jesus what? Begins to speak in parables. Judgment has come. They're under the judgment of God. They get nothing. And then the explanation of the parables is happening where? Not even near them. But what do we need to remember? Who's the undercurrent? God was still sovereign. All of this was happening exactly as God had planned. This was unfolding. The Pharisees' rejection of him and all that was bad that was happening to him, Jesus wasn't going, man, I cannot believe they ain't getting this. He wasn't, oh, this is just fruitless. This is useless. I'm done. I don't know about you, but as a pastor, that can sometimes happen to us. We can begin to think it's too much about me and then begin to go, oh, I'm done. This is too much. I can't handle it. They're not getting it. That would be what? Sin. Not trusting in the undercurrent. Not knowing that God is sovereign. The sower, though, was sovereign. He knew. He understood they were going to reject him. It was all prophesied, Isaiah 6. It was going to happen. The rejection was not a surprise to the sovereign God. They were responsible, yes, but God ordained it. Yes, both. And then as Peter later states, isn't this so true? This is perfect. It describes exactly what we're talking about. Peter states, when talking to these same men, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to the cross, a cross by the hands of godless men, and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it is impossible for him to be held in its power. What's the point? Why were they rejecting? Why? had God ordained for the enemy to actually snatch it out of their knowledge. All for the plan of God to be unfolded. It's an amazing truth, isn't it? So we see the field, we see how it's all unfolding, we see the different responses, 
But we also know who's the undercurrent. God, he's working all this out. Do you see? This is what Jesus did. This is why it was presented this way. This is why the disciples got it on the side. This is why he gave the explanation separately. It was unfolding exactly how God had ordained. So the first landing place for the seed was the side of the road. Jesus compared this to the hard-hearted rejecters who almost immediately rejected anything associated with Jesus and his kingdom. By the way, just a side note on this. I think we need to be very careful of identifying soils in our context because we're not the Lord. We don't know this. Remember, first audience is the ones that were here. This is who he was speaking it to. That's the primary people. We need to be very careful of being soil analyzers. Do you understand what a soil analyzer does? Oh, yeah, this guy's obviously roadside. Yep, definitely rocky soil there. We have to be careful of that. Now, does it show itself similarly? Yeah, but again, remember the audience. If I preach a sermon, and let's say 15% or 25% in the audience are hard-hearted rejectors, is it, is it because Scripture is being fulfilled? No. No, we're not Isaiah 6 here. You need to be careful. Do you see how we take and apply these parables and automatically apply them without thinking through them? Now, can the responses be similar? Yes, but be careful. His context was the beach. His context was the Jews that he was talking to. That's interesting, isn't it? Nobody's ever told us that in a parable because we always jump to what? Application. We jump to application so fast that we don't even know what the context was. We have to be careful. You say, well, Mike, then that means I read my Bible and I find out about these Jews during Jesus' time and there's nothing for me. No. No, there's lots for you to see that God is sovereign over all these things and to see that human responses aren't the things that we go by and we're not driven by the human response. We know that God is the sovereign of sober. And yes, we expect these kind of same types of responses. But we're careful not to be, what? Soil agents. Soil inspectors. So next we see the shallow-hearted respondents. The shallow-hearted respondents. I admit two and three are very similar. The identifying phrase notices at the beginning of the description in verse 20. It states what? It says, The one on whom seed was sown... On the rocky places. On the rocky places. So what's the reminder picture? Look back at verses 5 and 6. Here's the picture that he's now explaining. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depths of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Okay, so that's the reminder picture. This is what he's explaining now. Who was he explaining it to? The disciples only. Only the disciples. And they were getting what? 
an explanation of the crowd and how they were responding to Jesus and what was going to happen. So what's the explanation? Verse 20. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with what? Joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. What is the one thing that describes this person? Ultimately, I think the main thing that jumps out, there's two things really, is his emotions drive him, and he's temporary. It's temporary, right? So let's kind of dig in and look at how it unfolds. We have the seed is what? The word. It stays the same, the word. What is the next thing? The rocky places with little soil. The rocky places with little soil are what? It's compared to what? The man who hears, receives with joy, but is what? Temporary. Temporary. Third, the scorching sun. The scorching sun is defined? Yes, it is. Look at it. It's the afflictions or persecution that arise because of the word. The scorching sun that scorches this is the afflictions and the persecutions because of the word. So we have a good description of this second type of person, don't we? He's explained it. He's explained what the rocky soil is all about. The second type of person is a person that has a shallow a shallow emotional experience that leads him to receive the truth quickly, emotionally, but not with true commitment. Not with true commitment. There's the joy of the moment, the excitement of the moment. It drives them, and wow, this is great. And they receive it initially. But as time goes along, the persecution of pain and, and pain that's associated with being a person of the word enters into the life. It's natural. If you embrace the word of God, guess what's going to happen? Persecution and pain will happen because of the word. And as it comes, those that are only responded with emotion, and it was not... It wasn't a genuine commitment. It was just an emotional decision. Maybe a high, an experiential high. Wow, this is great. When the hardships come, what happens? They drift away. Emotional responses, beloved, alone are fleeting. They're fleeting. I've heard this so many times in sermons over the years especially from those that were along the lines of the seeker-sensitive type churches, where they talk about how many of you want to go back to that moment when you when you first got saved and the emotions were, oh, how great it was. The joy, they call it the joy of when you were first saved. You remember that? You've heard those phrases before? Uh, I think that's that's something that we shouldn't necessarily focus on. <laughs> Let me tell you why. Well, because my emotional commitments at the time of my salvation weren't completely well-founded on doctrinal truth. It was nice to have my sins forgiven. And praise the Lord, we're thankful for that, right? But ultimately, emotions go away, don't they? 
two, three weeks later? Are your emotions still there? No. How many of you had struggles after you became a believer? How many of you had a year of struggle, three years of struggle? Maybe you're still struggling. And it's hard, isn't it? And you don't always have the joy, do you? It's not always fun. Emotions don't always line up, right? But if you were driven and you made an experience or you had a decision or a choice to follow after God because of an emotional decision, guess what? That doesn't mean you're necessarily saved. Emotions don't always determine whether the heart has been changed. What reveals whether or not somebody's heart's really been changed and it's not just an emotional decision? Perseverance. Perseverance. We persevere through hard times. Difficult times when it's not fun anymore. When it's not easy anymore. How do we persevere though? Remember? By the grace of God that's working in us. What he started, he what? Completes. This is one reason why I'm a little bit leery of conference decisions. Or revivals, revival moments. Or, and I know, listen, I send my kids every year to camp. Okay? I love camp. Camp's a wonderful thing. They hear about it and they often come back with these emotional highs and wow, this is going to be great and I'm going to do everything and get out of my way. I'm going to serve Jesus. And then one week later, video games back in there and life's real. And let me. Treat my brother bad. (laughs) Heart. Commitment. Isn't driven by emotions. Right? Real, true, genuine commitment. Reflects itself in an ongoing abiding in the Lord. And in his word. And discipline. And enjoying him even when it's not an enjoyable circumstance. And by the way, that's why it's not one sermon too. And let me hear me. This I'm it's only a hobby horse for a second. I'm getting up on it for just a second. Did you hear that sermon? That was the most amazing sermon I've ever heard in my life. You know, you play that one on YouTube of I love the guy, Paul Washer. Okay, yeah, you like that one sermon. Great, wonderful. Did you read your Bible last night? How many times did you read your Bible the last two weeks? Did you pray two or three or four or six or eight times in the day last week? Every day? Were you abiding in Christ? I don't care about the one sermon. I want to know what you're doing with the Word on a daily basis. Are you spending time with Christ? Do you know Him? Do you enjoy Him? I can knock it out of the park one week, and next week it'll be horrible. But the good thing is, is if you keep coming back, you're going to keep hearing the Word of God. Today's probably bombing as we speak. But the Word of God is good. And ultimately, you don't come for this one sermon, do you? If this is the only time you've got for the Word of God? Because listen, 
I get into these sermons. I enjoy it. And I can make you like, wow, this God is good. You can go out. But I don't want to know about that. I want to know about what Monday. I want to know about Tuesday. Are you enjoying God's word tomorrow when I'm not around? When you're not hearing some sermon with some crazy man up here? That reveals whether we're good soil or not. It's not one song, one counseling session, or one exciting answer to prayer. It's about a sincere commitment to the Lord and His Word. To know Him, follow Him, obey Him, enjoy Him, delight in Him, abide in Him. Disciples learn, followers follow, slaves obey, children respect and honor, saints pursue holiness, repentant sinners depend upon the Savior, and worshipers worship. That's good soil. Everybody else, shallow-hearted responses. They're here for a little while and gone tomorrow. Faithful followers are not only following when it's fun, Follow when it's hard too. By the way, this is why I think church commitment is important and time. It's a great evidence. Pastor Mike, I, I, I know. I enjoy doing what I do. You can come and hear a message and for a couple of weeks it'll be, wow, that's pretty good. I like that. I like how excited he is and how passionate he is. But what I really want to know is are you coming on Sunday night? Sunday night? Why are you bringing up Sunday night? Half of us don't go to Sunday night. What about Wednesday night? Oh, but don't bring up Wednesday night. Uh Uh-oh, now you're becoming a legalist. No, beloved, hear me. This is about the Word of God. I need it. You need it. I come to Sunday to hear it. We need it all the time. We abide in the Word all the time, don't we? It's not just an emotional response. This is important. Do you understand how important this is? I'm not trying to guilt you. Hear me. I love you. I'm not. It's not about legalism. Do you understand? It's not that. It's about how your soul survives in this world. It's what we abide in. I know, I cleaned out half the congregation. Sorry. So first we saw the hard-hearted rejectors, then the shallow-hearted respondents. Next we see the half-hearted receivers. The half-hearted receivers. The identifying phrase, notice it says it, verse 22. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns. A reminder of that picture is what? Others fell, verse 7. Among the thorns. And the thorns came up and choked them out. And in verse 22 he explains it. He says this is the man who hears the word. And the worry of the world and the steepfulness of wealth choke the word. And it becomes unfruitful. What is the identifying markers? The seed is the word of God. The place among the thorns is the man who hears Chokes the word, the, things, the, the word is choked out. The word is choked and becomes unfruitful. 
They are half-hearted. The thorns, the worry of the world, and the deceitfulness of wealth. That is the thorns. He explains it. Who is this third soil? The third soil is very much like the shallow-hearted. This type is a person that hears the word. They show a level of commitment, but only until the world's worries and deceptions creep in. Until sin calls them back. And they return to their real master. This group of followers are committed to Jesus halfway. They have one hand on Jesus and one hand on the world. I like him as long as I can keep the world too. Sadly, the strongest hand is unfortunately on the world. Jesus is is good as long as Jesus doesn't require sacrifice. Jesus is good until he or she has to say no to something they really like to do. Jesus is good as long as everything is going their way. But their lack of genuine commitment is exposed when real sacrifice comes. Those are the half-hearted receivers. Now, I admit, no one in this room wants to suffer, right? None of us sign up for suffering. I don't want it to come. No one wants to die to self either. I mean, in our flesh, we don't, do we? But in Christ, we do. In what he has done for us, we want to die to self. No one wants things to be hard in their life. But the difference between a half-hearted receiver and a faithful follower is who wins out when things get tough and temptations come. Does Jesus remain Lord or does your flesh win? This is this is determiner. Now at this point, if we're not careful, we can begin to think this. See, it's all about me persevering. I'm going to do it. Okay, I don't care. I've got Jesus and nothing else. I can do this. I'm going to kill sin no matter what. I'm going to O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. I'm going to obey. But that would miss the point too. If we're not careful, we must what? Fall on our faces and cry out to the Lord and say, Oh, Lord, help me. Because it's only by your grace that I can do anything. I need you. I need you. Help me. I want to know you more. I want your glory to be so big and so beautiful that nothing else matters but you. Show me your glory. Help me to know you more. Change my heart. Put away, create in me a clean heart. Put away any sin. Help me to walk with you. Again, we persevere because he is preserving us. Why do genuine followers continue to return to Jesus and abide in him? Even when we blow it, why do we go back? Because God has shown us that Christ is our only hope and he is our joy and our satisfaction and he's the place our soul finds delight. Ultimately because the sovereign sower is at work in us. 
So even when our hearts are fickle, the Lord breaks through and reminds us of His glory and sacrifices become bearable and durable. And we bow and worship Him. Oh, friends, it should be our prayer to make us wholehearted followers. Right? I want to be like this last group. Look at them. And we'll close here. The wholehearted worshipers. The identifying mark this time, it comes before the description again. The one on whom seed was sown on the good soil. And the experience or the explanation picture, looking back, reminding us, Matthew 13, 8. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now, you know what's really interesting? Look at something. Look at the uh, reminder picture real closely. We're going to close with this. Look at it. And others fell on good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirty. Look at the explanation. This is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Now that's the explanation. That's not the reminder. That's the explanation. What do we see? The seed is the word, right? We still see that. We also see the good soil. What is the good soil? It's the man who hears the word, understands the word, and bears abundant fruit. That's the good soil. But what's missing? Abundant fruit. It says 100-fold, 60-fold, 30-fold fruit. And then in the explanation, what's it say? 100-fold, 60-fold, 30-fold fruit. What's not explained? Fruit. He didn't explain what the fruit is. I want to know what the fruit is. Don't you? What is the fruit? He doesn't tell us. Why didn't he tell them? I think because it's very clear. I think it's assumed. I think it's obvious. I think they'll see it. When you have Peter stand up in front of people that he was afraid of and then proclaim the truth. The fruit became obvious as time went along. That this man that had fear was now boldly proclaiming the truth. That though he was afraid of being hurt, then did what? Took beatings. He did all the things the other fruits didn't or the other soils didn't do. What is the fruit? It's worship. It's abiding in Christ. It's knowing Him. It's exalting Him. It's making disciples, making other people know Him. Because what happens? We who are the good soil actually end up becoming what? Sowers ourselves. Sowers ourselves. We go out and then spread the truth. That's great truth, isn't it? Beloved, I think there's many, many fruits. There's all kinds of things like obedience, like enduring suffering, like worship, like evangelism, like doing whatever God calls you to do, whatever your role is, playing your part. All these things, these are the fruits. 
So what's the meaning? Ultimately, we all want to be wholehearted followers of Christ, don't we? How do we have ears to hear? How do we have eyes to see? How do we do this? Answer, ultimately, God has to work in our hearts. May God work in our hearts, right? And produce great fruit for His glory. Because that's what we're about. Take my life, let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. All for Him and for His glory. So are you wholehearted fruit? Or are you a wholehearted soil? Worshipper? Are you a wholehearted worshipper? Are you a half-hearted receiver? Are you a shallow respondent? Or are you a hard-hearted rejecters? I hope I'm in a room full of wholehearted worshipers. If you're not, who do you need to cry out to? The sovereign sower. (laughs) Oh God, create in me a clean heart. Give me a heart that loves you more than anything in this world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace and your goodness towards us. Lord, I know that there's some in here that are in their sin and unable to see your glory and know you and enjoy you. And I pray, Lord, that you will help them see Christ as their hope. Help them see their sin and their need of a Savior. God, we pray for all of us in this room that we are wholehearted worshipers, but boy, we are still in these bodies of death and we know we fail. Help us, Lord, to persevere. We know your word promises that there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus and nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus and we praise you for that truth. We pray that your spirit will work in our hearts and cause us to produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control and all of this fruit of making disciples and honoring you and glorifying you. Please God, work in our hearts and help us to love and enjoy you above all else. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.